All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. We got a short week ahead of us. We've got two days to finish up the book of Revelation, to finish up all 66 books. I feel like our team, let's just say the four of us right now, and we have grown so much in the Lord in just eating up the Word of God that when we start looking at Revelation 21, we're going to be talking about a new heaven and a new earth, and it actually makes sense. No, I can't picture it completely. No, I can't grasp enough. But when you go back to Genesis and everything that's taken place since then, and then you go through the law, and then you go through the prophets, and you go through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, you throw in Hosea and Joel, and then all of these words that are coming, and then all of a sudden you jump 400 years later, you get into the New Testament, you get into Brit Hadashah, you get into, you know, the Gospels, you get into the Paul's letters, you get into the other epistles, like it's all built. And it all just, it feels right Because at the end of Revelation 20, you guys, uh, everybody that doesn't know Christ is chucked into the lake of fire. That's our transition into Revelation 21. We're going to begin to see a new vision. John sees another vision. And it's, it's this new start. There's a new picture. And it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea no longer existed. So in the new heaven and the new earth, no sea. There's no sea specifically. Let me just put it that way. No sea in the new heaven and the new earth. And it says in verse two, here's the fun picture, you guys. The fun picture is this. Let me just say this. This new heaven and new earth, though, it's an Old Testament prophecy, you guys. It's a New Testament prophecy. Just as a couple pictures, let's go to Psalm 102. Verse 25 and 26. This is not a new concept that the Apostle John wrote about. In Psalm 102, 25, it says, Long ago you established the earth, and the heavens are the works work of your hands. Verse 26. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment, and they will pass away. But Kevin, he continues on. That's the imagery that you're going to see. If you want to read Isaiah 65, verse 17, here's another language Uh, of a major prophet for he says for I will create a new heaven and a new earth the past events will not be remembered or come to mind so again major prophets are prophesying about the new heaven and the new earth this is not a new truth and just one more if you go to Hebrews 1 verse 10 11 and 12 just want to show you that this is not like, hey, we got to the book of Revelation. John sees this new vision. Oh, no, like this has been prophesied for years to come. Hebrews 1, 10, 11 and 12 says, and in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. It continues on. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. It says in verse 12, you will roll them up like a cloak and they will change, be changed like a robe. But you are the same and your years will never end. So here you have the Hebrews writer referencing Psalm 102. What an awesome picture that you're beginning to see. And he says in verse two, okay, now that we've established, he sees a new heaven. He sees a new earth. The old is gone, which we don't even have a concept of. He says, I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. Crazy enough, whenever I've been studying these late at night, I've been wearing my Jerusalem, uh, my Jerusalem sweatshirt, you know, that I have, the hoodie that we got, you know, guys at the Mamilla Mall. And you know what I want to write? I always want to write new right on it, just with a marker. Just want to write new because it's going to be better than what we can even imagine. I saw a holy city. Now, look at this, you guys. It's a, it's a unique picture. It's the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. So here's what I'm saying. It's already been established. 
New Jerusalem has already been established. It's just literally coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And so here they are. They are meeting together. The capital city of heaven is it's a perfect place of holiness. Love it. MacArthur says it's seen coming down out of heaven as if it already existed. It's a cool picture to think. And, and it ascends into the new heavens and the new earth from a place on high. And this is literally where the saints will live. John 14, 1 through 3, you guys have heard this at funerals. You've heard this, I'm sure, at your, at your church, maybe in a Sunday school class. You guys, this is the picture. John 14, 1, 2, and 3 says, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, In my Father's house are many places, many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. Kevin, he's setting up a home for us. I don't know. I think when I look at this picture and I begin to unfold this, it just kind of becomes surreal. You know, like, wow, what is this place even going to look like? And he says in verse three, now, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. You have to wonder how many voices this guy, John, hears. (laughs) I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Right away when I read this, it feels like it feels like when Christ came on earth, that was just a foreshadow now of the new heaven and new earth. Does that make sense? It was like literally God in human flesh came to us. And now look what he says. God's dwelling is with men. He will live with us. This verse right here, you guys, is really in, uh, in fulfillment of Revelation 7, verse 15. Revelation 7, verse 15 says, For this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his sanctuary. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. This is the picture. Kevin, this is what we begin to see, the heavenly throne, and we get to be invited. When we talk about this, look, it says God's dwelling, like the tabernacle of God, the place of abode, like where God resides. God says, this is my house. You know, it's crazy when you go to Psalm 132, you remember this in the Old Testament, we reference this over and over and over And Psalm 132 talks about this image about God's place and where he says, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Uh, And then it continues on. It says, I think, Kevin, could you go there? I think. Might be earlier on. Uh, Yeah, Psalm 132, verse 13 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his home. And then it continues on in verse 14. This is my resting place forever. I will make my home Jerusalem here because I have desired it. This is that picture that you begin to see. This is the image that you begin to see. He says, look, God's going to dwell with his humanity. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And and then in verse four, this is the famous, like when you go to heaven, you get to be with God. Just so you know, that imagery is after the thousand year reign. That imagery of, look what it says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. This is the picture of heaven that we talk about. And the reality is, is it's the new heaven and the new earth. Think about this, you guys. No more tears. No more grief. No more cheering for the bad teams because they lose. I always think about those kind of things. And people are like, that's so superficial. Nobody even cares about that kind of stuff because you'll be in the presence of God. No more death, no more grief, no more crying, no more pain. It's, it's not going to exist. The previous things have passed away. 
Again, this is a fulfillment. If you want to go to, Kevin, can you go to Isaiah 25, verse 8 for me, please? Isaiah 25, verse 8. It says, He will destroy death forever. This is a major prophet, Isaiah. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. <laughs> if you go to Revelation 7, verse 17. What we're seeing is, is you guys, Revelation 20, 21, 22 becomes a, a complete fulfillment of the word of God. Revelation 7, 17 says, For the Lamb is who is at the center of the throne who will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When you go back, Kevin, if you don't mind, go back to Revelation 21. Uh, this picture of... Uh, you know, the no crying and, and none of this images. It really is to me, uh, it's a picture of a comparison from Genesis to Revelation. I want to kind of go there a little bit. I like what Tom Constable did, a former professor of mine. He says, okay, look, in Genesis 1-1, here you have heaven and earth were created, right? Genesis 1-1, this is the picture that you see. When you go to Revelation, you have in Genesis 20, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, 1, you have the new heavens and the new earth created. So you have this comparison of there is a creation, there is a creation. In Genesis 1, verse 16, Kevin, if you'll go there. In Genesis 1, 16, this is kind of a cool picture here. Uh, is you're going to see, and I want to just kind of set this up and then we'll come back to it. It says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night. What you'll see is that God then created the sun. Kevin, but you know in Genesis 21, if you'll go to there, verse 23, which we haven't got there yet, but in Revelation 21, 23, Kevin, what do we not need anymore in the new heaven and the new earth? The sun or the moon. We don't need the sun or the moon. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. So what you're going to see is, I'll come back to this chart. I want you to begin to see the original creation and then how God has completely restored it and redeemed it and made it new. It's a pretty powerful image that you begin to unpack. So we'll come back to this here in a, in a little bit. But Kevin, if you go to Revelation 21, specifically verse 5, it says, Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. Don't you like that? Like, we're just, here we go. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Now, when you read faithful and true, what do you think of? What's the writer's name on the horse? Faithful and true. So Jesus coming back in Revelation 19 at the battle of Armageddon, he says, everything that I'm saying, these words are faithful and true. And he says, and he said to me, it is done. Ah, what an awesome picture. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. Kevin, what's done? Any thoughts to this? Everything. The wrath. Revelation 16, Revelation 17, Revelation 18. Everything is done. And look what he says. He says, I am. This has been our word that we've had for the book of Revelation, the phrase that we've had from the book of Revelation that describes Jesus Christ. He says, look, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end. From the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation, I'm here. Kevin, you want to go to John 8? We have this language, this picture of, and I love this image of Jesus. I think it's John 8. Uh, is it verse 50? 50? I don't even know if that's... Maybe, uh, let me go there. Yeah, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, I assure you, before Abraham was, I am. 
So Jesus' language reassures even what we just read in Revelation. He said, I assure you before Abraham was, I am. So in verse six, he says, I am the alpha. I am the omega, the beginning and the end. In other words, um, I will give waters as a gift. Water is a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. In other words, there's this lasting supernatural water, correct? That will what? It will never go out. Thus, no need for the sea. Thus, no need for the sea. He says in verse 7, if you'll go there for me, verse 7, it says, The victor will inherit these things. Those that are overcomers, those that believe in Christ. These are the promises that he, they were given you guys in Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3. He says, you will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Those who overcome, guess what? Uh, can you go to 1 John 5, 4 through 5 for me? 1 John 5, 4 through 5. It says, but whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Verse 5, it says, And who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the conquerors that we're talking about. These are the, the victors, those that are overcoming. You will inherit these things. And he says, I'll be your God and he will be my son. Now watch this. He comes back full circle in verse 8. He says, But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be where? In the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The first death is the physical death. And those that don't believe in the Lord will die and burn literally in the lake of fire. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians. If you go there, Kevin, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, 6, 9 and 10 says, don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, Every kind of homosexual, verse 10, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbal abusers, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Look, let's stop playing games with these topics. Okay, let's stop playing the games with like, look, you know, if you function as a lifestyle of a drunkard, I don't know how to get around this. Okay, scripture says you don't get in. Scripture says in verse 9, if you function in as a homosexual, every kind of homosexual. And really, that's really interesting about this is, is, doesn't it feel like you guys in today's society, we're coming up with new titles for all of this all the time, new genders, new something, whatever it is, the reality is don't be deceived. Those people cannot fall into the category of being a follower of Christ. You can say, well, Kyle, that's pretty drastic. I just, I'm literally reading what the scripture says. Seems pretty drastic, but I think at this point, you guys, these people are not experiencing the new heaven in the new earth. But here's the best part. When you put your trust in Christ, he'll change all of that. When you radically put your faith in Christ, all of those things, he says, I can clean up. I can take care of. So why are we, why are we at the church saying, oh, that's okay. We're allowed for these things. You guys, that is not true. We're inviting people to enter into a presence that's not with God. New heaven and new earth doesn't allow this type of lifestyle, doesn't allow this form of walking in unbelief. It doesn't happen. So the second death is literally a torment of your first lifestyle. And the new heaven and the new earth doesn't have that. Then there's a second vision in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels, we begin to describe really what, what Wearsby says is the character of the city, the new heaven, new Jerusalem. Then one of the seven angels, probably it says in verse 9, who held the seven bowls, right? Filled with the wrath. Remember this? With the seven last plagues. And he, and he said, come with me. I'd be like, uh... I don't know. (laughs) 
Come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And look, this is not my Walmart discussion. This is not the guy who came up to me and says, hey, can I tell you about Jesus's wife? Look, the bride, the wife of the lamb is not like a woman. OK, it's it's literally the church. It's the bride of Christ. <laughs> oh, Lord, this is where people, Kevin, just they take everything out of context. He says, I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the wife of the lamb. And then he carried me away in the spirit. And I love this image to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. There's that same image that we saw in the first vision at the beginning of Revelation 21. And then it says, he uh, he showed me the the city and it was arrayed with God's glory. And then here's an incredible picture. It says her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. And then you begin to see these, what we would call these physical features, physical features of the city. Kevin, I don't know. In my mind, I started to try to process it. The city had a massive high wall. The city had 12 gates, okay? 12 angels were at the gate. So realistically, you probably had an angel at, at each gate. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. All right, so they are named after the 12 tribes of Israel's sons. So Kevin, can you go to Ezekiel 48 for me? Ezekiel 48 verses 30 through 35. So you have a massive high wall, okay? Uh, and then you begin to see that there's 12 gates. L- look at this. In Ezekiel 48, 30, these are the exits of the city. On the north side, which measures one half and a half mile, one and a half miles, there'll be three gates facing north. The gates of the city being named for the tribes of Israel. Now here we go. One, the gate of Reuben. One, the gate of Judah. One, the gate of Levi. Levi verse 32, on the east side, which is one and a half miles, there will be three gates, one the gate of Joseph, one the gate of Benjamin, and one the gate of Dan, verse 33. On the south side, which measures one and a half miles, there will be three gates, one the gate of Simeon, one the gate of Issachar, and one the gate of Zebulon. And it continues on the 34 and 35. On the west side, which is one and a half miles, there will be three gates, one the gate of Gad, one the gate of Asher, and one the gate of Naphtali. Finally, in 35, the perimeter of the city will be six miles. And the name of the city from that day on will be Yahweh is there. I'd say it's a pretty cool picture of 12 tribes seeing the names on these gates. Now we know in verse 13, it says, look, there's three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now, here's what's interesting. So you have 12 gates and then you have 12 foundations. It says in verse 14, the city wall had 12 foundations and the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles we're on the foundations. All right, let's recap all this. Richard, the building guy around here. So how many gates do we have? You have 12. And who are the gates named after? The tribes of Israel. And then you have 12 foundations. But what does that mean, 12 foundations? Like, what, what, what are we talking about? It just means layer upon layer of bedrock. So layer upon layer of bedrock. So that's all the way around. And each one of those layers, each one of those foundations was named after the lambs, Jesus's 12 apostles. It's kind of a cool picture. If you go to Luke 6, verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, here you can begin to see this list. Luke 6, 13, 14, 15, and 16. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples. He chose 12 of them. He also named them apostles, okay? Uh, Simon, whom he named Peter. Andrew, his brother James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus. And Simeon called the zealot, verse 16. Judas, the son of James. And what about this guy? Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Anybody want to guess that he's not named after the foundation? I'm saying no. I'm going to throw Paul in there. 
<laughs> Paul could be. Can you go to Matthew nineteen twenty-eight? It's a great point. Matthew twenty-eight. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew nineteen verse twenty-eight, Kevin. Uh, Jesus said this, I assure you, in the messianic age, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. (laughs) Just know that they're going to have a prominent place. It's kind of an interesting picture. If you go to Ephesians 2, verse 20, I like this image of the apostles. Ephesians 2, verse 20, the apostle Paul, maybe, says, uh, go to verse 19 for me, will you? Just as a backdrop. So then you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now watch this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a cornerstone. So Paul's language would have been, everything was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And Jesus, by the way, in the new heaven and new earth, you've got 12 gates. You have 12 foundations named after Israel's tribes and the 12 apostles. It's kind of a cool picture. They're actually coming together. Now he says in verse 15, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates and its wall. So this gold reed, you guys, literally this reed was about 10 foot long, which was a standard for measure. And what was he told to do? He's told to actually measure the city. Kevin, if this is symbolic, how do you do this? How do you measure something symbolically if it's not actually literally true? I don't know. You wander aimlessly. Now watch this in verse 16. This is where it'll just kind of mess you up a little bit. It's just a crazy picture. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. I don't know if I'm saying that right. 12,000 furloughs, okay? Its length, width, and height are equal. Okay, now 12,000 furloughs, 12,000 stadia, okay? It's basically a symbol of perfection. This is what you're going to see is that literally 1,400 miles cubed or about 2 million square miles offering plenty of room for all the glorified saints to live. Did you catch that? It's really big. It's really big. (laughs) The city has symmetrical, John MacArthur says, the city has symmetrical dimensions of a perfect cube which parallels its closest earthly counterpart. Think about this, you guys. Okay, the inner sanctuary in the tabernacle, the temple. That's the only thing that you have that place of perfection. And now all of a sudden you have the whole city. Then it says in verse 17, he measured its wall. Now look, this is crazy. 144 cubits, 72 yards, so three-fourths of a football field, according to human measurement, which the angel used. This is the wall, which is more than likely the, the width. The width, we're talking three-fourths of a football field, is the width of this community. And here it is. The building material of its wall was jasper, which jasper at that time, and it said it was described, the city was pure gold like clear glass, probably like the the material of, of a diamond, the reality. This wall that is clear is the material of a thick wall. And then here you have this city like pure gold. So I think we have a picture here that Tom's been working on so hard on. Uh, I mean... You know, when people talk about the city being gold, this would be one of the verses that they would go to. Pure gold like clear glass. Now these foundations, these 12 foundations, okay? So you have this thick wall that you can basically see through. Then you basically have, you know, this feel of of, of a golden city like clear glass. Then the foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. So probably every foundation 
probably had a precious stone, more than likely that probably would have been tied to one of the apostles. And these 12 stones, as it's reflected, as it's reflected in verses 19 and on, it says the foundation of the city wall, which were adorned with all these precious stones, the first foundation. And then you begin to go through this Jasper, Sapphire. Let's see if we can get this. You have Chalcedony, you have Emerald, you have, uh, and it says in, in verse 20, Sardonyx, you have Carnelian, you have Chrysolite, you have Beryl, you have Topaz, you have Cryopas, you have Jacinth, you have Amethyst. You have basically, you have 12 different stones of different colors that possibly are tied to the foundations that possibly could represent and reflect, yes, even the apostles. It's kind of a, a pretty powerful image. Now we know that out of these stones, eight out of the 12, are found in the breastplate of the high priest. That we can sure say, hey, the other four, we don't really know if they tie back into the high priest of his breastplate. We don't know that, but we do know that it says in verse 21 that the 12 gates are 12 pearls. So think about it this way, 12 foundations, 12 stones, 12 gates, 12 pearls. And then each individual gate, now this is kind of interesting, was made of a single pearl. The broad city of the street... The broad street of the city was pure gold. This is where, Kevin, you get these songs of heaven has these streets of gold. This would be Revelation 21, 21. The broad street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So like you'll literally be able to see it and yet be able to see gold. How cool is that image? Can't even fathom this. 12 gates, 12 pearls. Each gate was made up of a pearl. He says in verse 22, I did not see a sanctuary in it. You know what that means? There's no more temple in the sense that we know. There's no more building. Praise the Lord. We don't have to talk about the dimensions anymore like that. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. So did you catch this? Jesus is the temple. The Lord is the sanctuary. And it says in verse 23, the city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it. And and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring glory, their glory, into it. In other words, you're going to see redeemed people from all of these nations, from all of these tribes, from all of these tongues, right? They're all going to be gathering together. They're going to be walking in its light, in the Lamb's light, and the kings of the earth are going to actually bring their glory into it. And each day, its gates will never close because... It'll never be night there. And by the way, there's no more sin. There's no more rebellion. There's no more unbelievers. They're not worried about any of the safety. And it says in verse 26, they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. You know what that means here to me? I don't want you to miss this. The Jews and the Gentiles can come together. Remember the Apostle Paul, he tried to bring in, in Acts 21, he tries to bring a Gentile into the temple and everybody gets all fired up. There, there's no more of that, you guys. Everybody can come before the throne. And finally, in verse 27, it says, Nothing profane will, ever, will enter, ever enter into it. No one who does what is vile or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. It's the same image, Kevin, of Revelation 3, 5. Of Revelation 3, 5. And it, it's a cool picture, you guys. Here you have... In Revelation 3, 5, it just says this, In the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes, and I'll never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Revelation 3, 5 is a picture of reality of the new heaven and new earth. I think for me, when I hear this, why wouldn't we want people to experience the new heaven and the new earth? 
You and I have a chance every single day to to tell somebody literally about the gospel. Why would we stay quiet? Why would we stay quiet about this new heaven and this new earth? That's something that God is literally offering to all. He's just asked us to go tell somebody. Please, today, just maybe out of obedience, out of Revelation 21, you can actually talk about the lake of fire and the new heaven and new earth. And guess what? The answer is it's through the Lamb of Christ. All right, guys, we have one more chapter. One more. And it'll literally bring the canon to close. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.